Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Doherty, and I'm your host. Today we have a little bit different format. Charlie McCall, the director at His Hill, is going to lead us in a devotion on the topic of church. Just what is the church, and and what is what is our part in it? What is our responsibility in being active with the church? And then after that, John Forrest, who is our principal, will join us, and the three of us will have a discussion on the topic. So let's join Charlie now as he leads us in the devotion. Curious to me that Kelly's asked me to talk about this, and it's because um, even though I've been involved with church all my life, I've never considered myself a church guy. Um, my family um, had us in church as children um, from my earliest memories. Um, and that was a, a great experience. Um, I went to Bible college and seminary and went to church during that time. But I never saw myself as being a pastor. I wasn't even sure why God had me in Bible college and seminary because I didn't see being a pastor as being in the future for me. And because I've just never been a guy that just thought about church and how it works and how to how to um, lead a church. That was just never my um, motivation, and it wasn't my gifting. I, I still do not consider myself gifted um, as a pastor. I am and have been the preaching elder at Bernie Bible Church in Bernie, Texas, for over 30 years now. And even that was something that just kind of happened um, the pastor of that church had resigned um, to go into another ministry. I was attending the church and was asked to fill in and do the preaching while we looked for a pastor. Two years later, we still hadn't found a pastor, and we decided just to go with the giftings that God had given us as a small fellowship and that I would be designated the preaching elder. And the church recognized that I was um, too committed time-wise to actually be the pastor. And they recognized that that shouldn't fall on, on me. Um, and so the church really started up, st- um, stepped up, in the particular the elders, to give good pastoral care to the church. And, and so the shepherding, the, the pastoral care, was from the very beginning of that experience spread out among the different um, men at the church, and the church began to function better than really it probably ever had up to that point. Um, since then, 30 years later, I look back and just see how valuable um, my experience with the church has been, and not just mine for me personally, but also for, for, for my family and even for His Hill. As if y'all have been to His Hill, you know that, that um, the students and staff are all very involved with the same church, Bernie Bible Church. This was never by design. Um, I wouldn't have been smart enough to, to figure out how important and significant it is to have um, a parachurch ministry like His Hill tied into a local church. But it's been a huge blessing um, in so many ways um, to have counsel from godly men and women, um, to have financial support for our needy students and also for my family um, and as well as other staff members. But the biggest thing has been um, to have the prayer support and know that there are people who are every day praying for 
me and the ministry at His Hill. And I, I really can't begin to express just how significant the church has been um, for me, my family, and like I said, to His Hill. So I'm very grateful for it. But I know that's not everyone's experience, and it's I hear more and more that people are not attending church or they're only um, watching church online or they're just having church with their family and no one else. Um, and these things, honestly, are a concern to me. Um, and I have to try to here to separate my own bias a bit because, as I've just said, my experience has been extremely positive, and I know not everyone's experience with the local church is positive. But wanting to spend just a few minutes here looking at, at the Word and what the Scripture has to say about the church and that'll be my devotion, as it were. And then Kelly and John um, and I will just discuss a bit about the local church and its importance. So the first passage that always comes to mind for me when I think about the church is from John 17. And even though the church is not even mentioned in this passage, um, what is mentioned is the unity that Jesus died to secure um, and how, how very important it is because that unity between believers is based upon, predicated on, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. In verse 11 of John 17, Jesus says, I am no more in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them in thy name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. And so Jesus is saying here, he's asking the Father to make us as one with each other as he is with the Father. Now that is mind-blowing. Um, it's so easy today to separate from other Christians. And yet Jesus died to make us one with each other as one as the Father and Son are one with each other. That's amazing. And then he, he goes on and he says... But now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may know, have my joy made full in them. So through this oneness, also he wants us to know his joy. And I don't know that we can know, truly know, the joy of Christ in the fullness of what it is in isolation. And we can say, well, I know his joy because I'm in relationship with him, and Jesus is my joy. I get it. But the joy of the Father and the joy of the Son is a joy that is a, a community joy. It's, it's a relational joy. It's a relationship between two persons. And the joy that we, He wants us to have is that joy, the joy between believers, the joy between brothers and sisters in Christ. And to not have that local church experience is to rob ourselves of the very joy that Jesus wants us to know. And then he continues and he says, um, I'm just skipping down here to, to verse um, 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their, through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And here it is, that the world may believe that you sent me. And so he's saying here, as I understand it, the most powerful witness that we can give of the reality that Jesus Christ came into this world 
is the witness of our unity with other believers, our oneness with other believers. And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you sent me and you loved me even as you, even as you loved me. And so, again, I don't know how Jesus could have said it more plainly, that he has made us one um, through his death on our behalf. Our sin has been removed. The obstacle to oneness has been removed, not just the obstacle to oneness to, with God, but the obstacle to oneness with each other. And having been made one by the blood of Christ, we now are, the, are a witness to the reality that Christ came into this world. There, as, I, as I think about it, the purpose of the church based on this passage is to demonstrate the oneness and the unity of Christ and the Father, and to demonstrate that the only explanation for this unity, this oneness between Christians, is that Christ came into this world. The purpose of the church is to demonstrate the power of God to unite diverse elements of people to make people who are not like each other, people who are diverse in every way, that he has. The, it is by the power of God that we become one. This makes the church like something like, like, like nothing else on this world because there is nothing in this world that can unite like Christ has united the church. It occurs to me that we have the power as men to split the atom, but we do not have the power to unite sinners. But God has done that in Christ. He has taken warring, selfish, disobedient people who are at strife and enmity with each other, and he has made us one. He has taken down the barrier, the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, and he has ripped the veil between God and man so that we could be made one body, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and that being a witness to the world that the only explanation for this kind of unity is the fact that Jesus lives and Jesus came into this world, and it's he that lives in us who makes us one. When we started out Bible school this semester, um, and I was just praying again about what to say is, so I, it's kind of, that's one of my jobs every year is to start Bible school off and, and kind of orient us to what the Lord wants to do in our lives. And I, I came to Ephesians 1, 18 and 19, and Paul's prayer there for the Ephesian believers. And it just struck me new, one of the things that Paul said, and I'll read it. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So three things Paul prays for, the eyes of the heart to be enlightened, to know, number one, the hope of his calling, number two, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and number three, the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's the middle of those two that really struck me. We have to have God work in us to know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling is that we would be like him. Because we've been called to be brought into conformity to Christ. Secondly, it takes the power of God to work in us, to illumine our hearts and minds, to understand what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And what he's saying there 
is that God has an inheritance. He is our inheritance, and we could not be more blessed, wealthier people on the planet than what we are because God is our inheritance. But this is saying that we, the church of Jesus Christ, is God's inheritance, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And it seems to me that Paul is saying, I get it. A lot of people do not understand how significant the church is. And I'm praying that God would open up your eyes and open up your hearts to understand that the church, Christians, collectively, not individually, but collectively, they are the glory of God. They are His inheritance. And if I begin to see the church as God sees it, it's going to change a lot about whether I stay with the church or, or, or leave the church, whether I, whether I watch the church from online or I, or I get involved with the people personally. That this is where God's wealth is. God takes um, he, 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 his inheritance, his, he takes great value in the, in the church, the body of Christ, the saints collectively. And then the third, that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. There's so much in the scripture, all through Ephesians, talking about that God has made the two one. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about that we've been all by one spirit made um, members of one body. Each of us has been given a gift by the spirit who determines the gifts that we might edify the body. There's no way for me to function as God's intended for me to function as a member of the body contributing to the others unless I'm part of that body. But I also think about what Paul said here toward the, in, in, the, in chapter 3 of Ephesians where he says, um, to me, verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And now, verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So as a good torchbearer, we all want to be like Paul, and that is to bring to light the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God and created in all things. We want to preach Christ and the significance of who he is. But this says specifically, it goes on, and it's not just preaching Christ, but it says it's through the church that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church and not just to the world, as John 17 is saying, that the world might know that you sent me, but that through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Who knew? But there is something about the church and the oneness that God has given us that not only bears witness to the world that the living Christ came into this world and he is the only explanation for our oneness, but the church is also bearing witness in heavenly places to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Angels are looking at the church and going, this is amazing. And perhaps he's even speaking of demons. Maybe Satan himself looks at the church and goes, there is no explanation for this other than the miraculous power of God, that these diverse, ugly sinners, that they are one, just as one as father and son. It is a miracle that bears witness in every place of the universe, the heavenly places themselves, witness to what we are 
to our lives in being one with each other. And then in verse 20 of chapter 3, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, we all love that verse, according to the power that works within us. But then the next part, to him, to God, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So again, we claim these verses, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to his power that works within us. And we go, amen, man, every torchbearer loves that verse, his power working within us. But it's to him be the glory in the church. That's where God wants to make his power known, not just in my life, but in the context of my life interacting with the lives of other Christians. And that's where God receives his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. So it seems to me, Paul's saying, the two primary ways that God receives glory is in his son, the Lord Jesus, and in the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. It's hard to overestimate, just looking at those few verses, just how significant the body is, the local church is. It's there to nurture us and to build us up and us to be used to build up others so that we might know the joy of the Lord and that we might be a living witness of the reality of Christ in this world. The church is designed for our good. We didn't invent it. It wasn't man's idea, just like marriage was not our, our, our idea, but we can sure mess it up. It was God's idea for us. It is our good. I don't think it's too much to say that you cannot be what you've become apart from the church. In isolation, as one Christian in isolation from other Christians functioning in the body of Christ, you will grow You will know Jesus, but you will not grow and know him as fully as God wants us to know him because God never intended for us to live in isolation from the rest of the body. You cannot become what God wants you to be, to put it another way, in isolation. It takes the body of Christ for me to be ministered to by them and for they to be ministered to by me for me to become what God wants me to be. So I'll restate it. You can't be what you've become, and you can't become what God wants you to be, apart from the local church. So, I mean, this is sounding like, I hear myself talking here, it sounds like somebody who, who, is just, um, who's, who just is preaching church. I've never been that kind of person. Again, God has, has backed me into this, as it were. After, after 66 years, that's how old I am, of being in the church and, and seeing how God has ministered not only to me but countless other people just in the context of being together. Sometimes it's through um, corporate prayer, standing in a room and hearing other people pray. Sometimes it's been in corporate worship. Just you go to church and you're out of sorts, but something happens when you stand there and hear the body of Christ singing the praises of God and, and, and you're, you, you feel your heart being reoriented to the Lord. Many times it's through the word of God being preached, but it is always through the interaction of God's people with God's people. It might be somebody that just gives a word of encouragement that they weren't even planning to give and didn't know that you needed to receive. 
but they say the right word at the right time, and you know it was from God. Sometimes it's a, it's a correction or a rebuke that, again, people may not even been intending to give, but, you, but it's what you needed to hear. The primary way that God wants to minister to us is through the church. And it seems to me the primary way that God wants to witness to the reality of his life is also through the church. It is the bride of Christ. He loves it. It is not perfect, but it is nonetheless his first love other than the Father himself. And for, for me to minimize or to devalue the church, I think must bring great grief to Jesus who secured the oneness of the saints through his death and who loves the bride and is committed with all of his being to his bride. And he wants me to value it and cherish it no less than he does. We'll talk some more and and we'll have some questions that we'll banter back and forth on it. But that's my basic heart here to communicate. Um, And again, I, I know that no church is perfect. Um, churches are composed of sinners, um, and but I but I can't get away from what the scriptures say, particularly in John 17, Ephesians, Hebrews, 1 Corinthians. All of these passages just speak so powerfully and richly to the significance of the church, and that and 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 it does take God. I understand to open our hearts. That's why Paul prayed that, that God would enlighten the, our hearts to comprehend the riches of His, of, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Thank you, Charlie. I appreciate you, you sharing that. I appreciate you being here along with John. Thanks for being here too. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, um, you know, just so people know, understand like john and i do what just happened is uh charlie came in sat down was ready to to record and then didn't understand that he was supposed to give a devotion first and so that's what just happened (laughs) and so i uh i appreciate that um you know charlie as you were speaking i something that several things came to mind but one of them was you know how often we can read scripture and and miss the the plurality of a verse and, and see it as being, you know, just personal. It's just to me. And there's, 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 a, there's a lot of verses that are like that. Mm-hmm. And we miss out, really, on the, the, the depth of that verse when we see it that way. Um, we, we feel like, you know, I think so often we feel like I can just, you know, I, I can be that, that island. I can, I can grow in Christ. I, you know, and of course you can. But, but that's not... That, that, that you'll never know the depths. You were never designed for that. I mean, even God told Adam it wasn't good for him to be alone, that we, we were made to be together. So I, I, I do appreciate you pointing that out. And, uh, the, and just um, the, the observation, too, that nothing has the power to unite like Christ does. You know, that we were, we were made to be, again, together and for us to be okay with not being together is um is disturbing at times john did you have any observations well i mean i think one thing i was thinking about was just i mean the ephesian church when you're going through that passage there's so much diversity in that church Mm -hmm. like there's slaves and masters and jews and gentiles and and he just keeps speaking about the unity they have in christ and Mm -hmm. and so i i think it's i mean 
well, we think about diversity, and it's it's just amazing how the Lord brings all those people together, and and they're unified in the Lord. And I was thinking too about just the you know the two great commandments of love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then love your neighbor as yourself, and the reality that if we if we love our neighbor, that means we're going to love the church. Uh, that that the church is our neighbor. You know that the the body of Christ, our local believers. It's not just talking about loving unbelievers, but it's talking about everybody. Mm. Uh, and and so we're quick to to lift that verse up and say, yeah, we should all be loving everybody. But then when we get hurt by the church in particular, I think it's easy for us to then justify our distance from mm-hmm. the church. Yeah. You also mentioned the, um, you know, being the, the church, you know, the unity of the church being that, that powerful sign of witness to the, to the community. And that made me think of, um, you know, during, during COVID, I I heard of this one community that was disturbed and it may have been several communities, but that was disturbed as they observed the churches being closed and nobody being there. And and these would be, you know, the, the part of the community that were not believers. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, what what an incredible witness it is for us to even just simply attend, yeah. you know, weekly for for the for the people to see that. Um, and so how we don't we don't understand. I think we we've watered down church so much to just a uh, you, you know a, a one hour meeting. Uh, that is that that needs to be so often uh, planned out in a way that's comfortable for me as an individual, to where we even kind of pick our church to go to along the same basis, and it's uh it's challenging to think through that. Yeah, and I think so much of the time, again, it just goes back to the question: Am I going to believe the word of God or not? Mm-hmm. You know, the Lord says mm-hmm. the church is valuable, it's precious, it's lovely, uh, and and we should be plugged in to the church and just embracing what God has given us in Christ. And do I believe him or not? Yeah. Despite my experiences, despite all the excuses I can come up with, am I going to take God at his word or am I going to use my own understanding to try to navigate and justify my own distancing myself from other believers? Yeah. Well, um, uh, we, John, and I have prepared some questions for Charlie, and, huh. <laughs> and we uh, we let him see the questions beforehand, and he wasn't really happy with us. Um, but uh, you know, Charlie being Charlie, he complains and then does it. Um, so anyway, let's let's go through some of these questions and and just talk through that. John, do you want to start? Sure. Um, yeah. So, and you mentioned this at the beginning of your devotion. And just more and more hearing about families and individuals choosing not to attend church and maybe just having church as a family, or maybe there's another, um, a, a second family that joins them and they start just a home church or a house church. And the reasons for, for that can vary from either having a bad experience at the local church or trying to find a Bible-believing church and feeling like they can't find one that they really agree with and get on board with. And so... The house church movement is just, I feel like, taken off in the last 15, 20 years. Um, I hear about it a lot. But what just what are your thoughts on the house church movement in general? But then more specifically, you know, when, when people are having difficulty finding a church that fits and they decide, you know what, 
you know, look, my family is all believers, so we're all part of the church where two or three are gathered. They're crisis too, so we can just stay home and we're still part of church, um, even if there's just five of us or six of us. Uh, well, yeah, just what are you, some of your thoughts on that? Well, I don't, I don't have a problem with the house churches. The early church started out as house churches, and, and so I don't think anybody can just say house churches are wrong. And I think they have a lot to commend them. You know, they they typically are are, are more. Um, there's there's often a, a spread leadership instead of just a central leadership in one person. Um, they there can be a greater degree of accountability because people know each other better. Um, and so there there's a lot of things that would commend the house church. But for a family to call their own family a house church, I see no biblical precedent for that. Uh, the assumption in Scripture is that when you come to Christ, you associate with the local body. And we don't see anything in Scripture of Christians in isolation from the body. That wherever they were, they, they were engaged regularly, um, weekly, with the local church in that community. Um, and so there's just no such thing as Christians in isolation in Scripture. Um, and so and I think a family, even though it's still it's more than one person, it's still a family unit that's in isolation from the family of God. Um, because that's how the Scripture describes the church, that we are brothers and we are sisters. And when brothers and sisters are not fellowshipping together, something's wrong. And it's not what, what God intended. And, and, the, and the bond of brother and sister in Christ is actually greater than the bond of, bio, of, of biology, a family bond. Because you leave and cleave your mom and dad, um, you leave and cleave your mom, you leave and cleave your parents in order to, you know, to, to marry, but um, that's not the most permanent relationship. The most permanent relationships among human beings is, is the church. Um, this, is, this is a unity that will be for eternity. Um, and so I, I just think it's, um, it's, again, it's just essential um, I get it that maybe things are going on in a person's home and occasionally, you know, maybe kids need to have more interaction with dad. They need to see their dad leading. Um, but it should, if, if there's going to be that kind of, of separation, I think it ought to be for a time it's, and it ought to be for a clear purpose in mind and that the, per, and that the goal is to re-engage, um, with the body of Christ. Mm. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I appreciate that. You know, the as far as you know, a home church is is concerned. Uh, you know, you go through Scripture, and there's the the practical church. You know, uh, you know, it's really we, we the only instruction we have that I can think of off the bat is uh, elders, deacons, um, forsake not the gathering together. So I, you know, the home church, you know, that, you know, it's just a name we've given it, you know, yeah. we just add home to describe it. Um, but then there, there can be the abuse of it, you know, that there can be the, the getting together for no other reason, but, you know, that, that my, my pet peeve be the, be the main thing that's driven here. Yep. And, and that's, that's not profitable. It's, you know, for, for anybody. But um, but certainly, you know, I think a lot of home churches are, um, you know, can can be like Charlie said. It's commendable. You know, they they've uh, it's a good thing. Uh, but to see it really 
as a church. It is a church, and and uh, and and we're you know we're together. So that's that's a good question, um, Charlie. When Arlene and I were full time on staff, there was a local minister that would regularly uh, encourage us not to get heavily involved in a local church. Uh, his reasoning was because we are so involved here at His Hill um, that you know we're pouring so much here in, into people's lives that we really need to ha- take a break, step back, and um, and just. Um, to, to just have a time to rest and regenerate and not to, and to be more poured into than to be you know active in the local body where we're continuing to minister. What what would you say to someone who who was trying to encourage you that way? Well, I you know I appreciate the intent you know to care for you know your soul and to make sure you're getting the rest and all that you need. You know that's. Loving, commendable, but it's it's. I think it's it's not wise. Um, again, God has designed that we receive the nurture that He wants us to receive through His Word and through His people. Um, I remember Bill Bushhouse one time said years ago at the closing of a of a school year, he told our students, he says, "I can predict who's going to go on and do well and who is not." Mm. And it's based on two things, who stays in the Word and who continues to go to church. Mm. And you fall away from either of those two things, he says, you're not going to do well. Because that's how God designed to nurture us. And I'm not saying that that those are, are you know, it's not a formula. Um, but it's like, you can't, you can't do well and not eat, you know. And God supplies the food, but God wants me to eat. And... Um, and this is the way that God has designed to minister to me individually. No matter how involved I am in ministry through the week, His design is that I be involved um, with the body of Christ. And again, I just don't think we can overestimate it. Um, and it's, it's not, I shouldn't look at the local church as this is where I'm just giving out all the time. I do give out, but this is also where I receive. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I can't tell you how much I have received. Yeah. And I, you know, some people would say, well, I give out a lot more than, I, than I'm receiving. They don't know. You know, I'm preaching every Sunday, but no matter how many times a year I preach, I never come away feeling that I have given more than I've received. Mm. And, and that's a mystery. I can't even explain it. But by the Spirit of God, this is God's method of ministering to me, growing me, feeding me. It's, it's through interaction with His body. And again, this, these are the people that are going to pray for me mm-hmm. and that God's going to use to, to, to protect me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and why would I insulate myself, isolate myself from that? It is vital to living in a, in a world full of demonic power. Why would I separate myself from the very thing that God is using to express his power in the world? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the church. So I think it was bad counsel, you know, given with a good heart. Um, but bad counsel. Yeah, I, as you were talking, it made me think of, you know, we were we were here for over twenty years, and when we moved away, uh, when it was time to move back, we were really excited to be back around our friends, our brothers and sisters at his hill. Uh, you know, and but I can tell you, and it's not a, it's not a, to be to, to be a put down at all to his hill 
But I can tell you that every family member was more excited about being back with our, our brothers and sisters at, at our local church. Yeah. Uh, because of, you know, just what, what over, you know, over what had happened during those 20 years to uh, the, the ministry, the, what you were saying, you know, the, just the, the input that they had into our lives, the challenges that were, that were, that were, that we were given by being a part of that body, not always just by somebody saying something, but just how people would live before us. We really were over, just overjoyed to be back a part of that fellowship again. And, and so I, I agree, you know, it, uh, advice that was given from a good heart, but not, not, I would say not good advice. Um, the, the, the church is, um, the church is what God has given us. You know, not, not the, not the parachurch, not these ministries that we get involved in, but the church, and, and we need to be there out of obedience. We need to be there with what the Lord has designed. Yeah, and I just think too, it's it's so easy going back to what you were saying, Charlie. It's so easy to start to measure in our minds and our hearts how much am I giving and how much am I receiving. Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that it's just not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like it's not there, but but we we look at life so much based on the measurements of. Am I am I getting out what I'm putting into it? But we we move forward in faith. You know, we're, we're obedient out of faith, not out of obligation, and not because we're expecting to get something back. It's just because this is what where the Lord has us, what He's called us to. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're always looking again. Just you know, what's the payback? You know, mm-hmm. what what am I getting out of this? And that's not what it's about. And I've just spent so much time talking about how beneficial the church is for us individually. But I don't go to church for that. I go to church because this is my family, mm-hmm. and this is what God has called me to. And and if I got nothing out of it, it wouldn't change the fact that this is God's will for me. Mm-hmm. You know, for each of us, I believe. We are, we are members of the body of Christ, and He wants that body to be functioning together and, and to be worshiping Him together. Mm-hmm. Um, not online, mm-hmm. you know, but together mm-hmm. in the same room, looking mm-hmm. at each other, hearing each other, feeling the emotion in each other's heart, standing next to somebody who's getting weepy, you know, over singing an old hymn and somebody else that just says, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. Well, what does that mean? You don't get that by, you know, and you can stop yeah. and say, well, how can I pray for you? What's right. going on? You don't get yeah. that, right. you know, by watching church online. And again, I know there are people that are shut in and they have no possibility of, of fellowshipping in person with the church. But I've known some shut-ins, you know, people in their 80s and 90s, and they would have given everything to be back in the church. Yeah. And we've, you know, we had one dear couple in our church. She was, was blind and he was deaf, and they couldn't go to church, and, but we came to them. You know, once a month when it was when it was Sunday for communion, some of the elders would go to their house and, and have communion with them. And it's one of the most precious times I've ever mm-hmm. had in my life. I look mm-hmm. forward to when I was on the rotation to go mm-hmm. to their house and have it because we would, you know, but they were as engaged with us as they could be. They prayed through the directory every mm-hmm. single day. They'd get on their exercise machines and, and the one that could read, you know, had the sight, would read, and the other and as loud his voice as he could. So, the, <laughs> so the, you know, but it was just, it was almost comical. But those those dear saints were praying for every person in the church directory every day. And they couldn't physically be there, but they no. went 
they went as far as they could to be active with yep. the body. Because I, I remember what I'm saying, the, yep. when I met them, you know, it, had, it was you had already was you were already an elder. You'd already be with there well before me. But when we got there, uh, Christmas caroling one 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 year, we went to their house, and they when they found out that my kids, what is your name? You know, I think was it the wife that couldn't see. Right. Yeah. She put her hand out to shake hands and then she asked this little hand, you know, whoever had this little hand, who are you? And she said, I'm Madeline. You're Kelly and Arlene's daughter. I mean, they, they knew us. Oh, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, just how engaged they still yeah. were. Yeah. And they knew our birthdays. They prayed yeah. for us. And it was, yeah. I mean, they were active there. Yeah. You know, talking about the kids too, I, I can, you know, my girls will tell you that they're thankful that we didn't just take that advice and just stay here uh, on the hilltop or, you know, take it easy on Sundays because they would never have known what church life is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and they loved being here. I mean, they loved the students. They yeah. had, you know, wonderful memories and the Lord used that in a big way in their, in the molding of their lives. But, you know, as they get older, it's, it's the church that they, that they wanted to come back to Texas for. They wanted to be yeah. back with their, mm-hmm. with that fellowship. And they, and they, they appreciated the fellowship that we were in Louisiana. But when the, when the Lord opened the doors to come back, well, they were excited about being there. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, it's just, it is, it's so easy for us to miss the, the richness that, that the Lord is providing for us in that fellowship that that's called the church. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. A common issue that we've heard from our alumni uh, is that when they go home, they really struggle with finding a church. And, you know, it's, it could be various reasons, but it seems like the, the, the main reason they hear is just they don't have that fellowship that they had when they were here. And they don't have that teaching that they had when they were here. And so they, they get frustrated. And they either just end up just um, acquiescing to whatever they have to, you know, whatever there is, or they, they fight it, or they just don't go, or they maybe just go just for Sunday morning and that's it. And that's, that's always been a, a, a concern of mine. And I know you guys have, have shared the same. So what, what advice and encouragement would you give to the alumni? Yeah. And I, it is, you know, again, it's, it's almost comical to me for many years Bernie Bible Church has had a reputation of being kind of a homeschool church and ultra conservative. Yeah. And, then, and now, you know, our students are going, I've never seen a church like this. Mm-hmm. Well, I say that because we're not perfect. And churches like people grow and change. And, and they say that positively. Yes, yeah. positively. Yeah. I mean, they, they're so positive. And, they, and that becomes, you know, we almost, Bernie Bible Church becomes the, the, the high bar. And right. not, nothing's meeting that. Mm-hmm. Um. But, you know, it, it, it reminds me a little bit about, you know, single girls who say, I can't find anybody, I, I can't meet guys like, and they're pointing to guys that have been married for 20 years. Yeah. And you're going, well, they weren't like that <laughs> before they got married. <laughs> you know, the, the churches grow yeah. and mature. Yeah. And, and just as people do. And I think it's, it's very important that, again, there's a sense of calling. 
And as with everything in our life, you take that job because you believe that's where God wants you to be. You marry that woman because you believe that's the woman God wants you to marry. You go yeah. to that church because you believe that's where God wants you in church. Right. And you, and as Major Thomas used to say, sent, went, and put. And you stay there till through thick and thin, you know, unless there is something that just is monumental, you know, just some huge heresy that you can't get around or some type of gross immorality with the leadership that's not being dealt with, you know, otherwise you stay in that church and it will grow, you know, it, it, and you'll be part of the process mm-hmm. and it'll be good for you to work through that. Cause, cause again, it's, I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't forsake his bride, but we forsake his bride. And Jesus knows better than anybody. There's no perfect local church. They don't exist, just like there's no perfect marriages. Mm. And and yet he doesn't forsake it. And we've we've we just have to sometimes just settle. This is what God has said. This is what he has called me to. There's a lot of different churches out there to pick from. Pick the one that is going to best model what you understand scripture saying. You know, that you can be most in agreement. How can two walk together unless they be agreed? So mm. find a church where you can agree with the doctrinal statement. You can agree with, with the direction of the church, with, with you know, w- what the main thrust of the church is, as much as you can. And if there's, and if, it, and if it's, you know, because there's some that are going to be closer to that than others as far as agreement. And then understand that when you're there, it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be carnal people, and and all of us can be carnal one moment, and you know, and spirit filled the next. Um, but also, ask God to open your eyes up to people who love Jesus. Because mm. I mm-hmm. I happen mm-hmm. to think that in every local church, you got one or two saints yeah. that truly love Jesus. Yeah, and they're not going to be flashy. They may not be teaching Sunday school classes. They're not you know may not be in church leadership. But there, I think that it typically, and and more often than we think, there are those one or two or more individuals that are just are quietly walking with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Ask God to bring them to your attention, yeah. and those become the nucleus that you that you um, involve yourself with, and that and that you pray with. I've encouraged students over the years to find that person too, and yeah. and to approach them and just ask them, could we get together once yeah. a month? You know, yeah. have coffee or yep. go out for lunch and and you'll find that people are more than willing yep and, and that's yeah i i i appreciate that hmm. and bouncing off of that I had another question that came to mind i've heard you talk about this before that you know as, as students maybe are finding it difficult to get plugged into a church that they agree with theologically sometimes they can take on the mentality of well i'm going to go to a church in order to fix it Oh, um. no. <laughs> no, please yeah. don't. Nobody wants you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, no, yeah. please don't do that. Yeah, yeah. And, and so but it's just something that comes up after they, they're here and they, they hear the teaching at His Hill and the experience they have at Bernie Bible. Um, and, and I guess just I'd be curious if, if you could just unpack a little bit. What are some of your cautions towards them other than just don't do it. <laughs> Again, Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And we should, we should just see ourselves as servants. And that we're here to, as God wants to minister to us, wonderful. But I am, a, I am, 
I, I don't may not even know what my gift is, but God's given a gift, and that gift is to be used in the context of the church, and and Lord use me. However you would be, however you be pleased. I don't even know what that's going to look like, but use me. Ask God to to put on your heart to burden you with maybe a particular ministry that He might want to move you into, and that that you can bring others perhaps in a local church, to participate with you. It might be discipleship or evangelism or child care or whatever. You go to a local church, you see a need. Instead of being critical of it, just go, maybe God's opened my eyes to this need. Maybe this is a place where I can serve. And and just, again, submissively, um, with permission, you know, you go to the leadership and say, what do you feel about me starting a children's church? Or what do you feel about me starting an outreach to old people that can't come to church? Um you know, there's a million things. Ministry is everywhere. And and if we just really just say, God, I just want you to use me, open my eyes to what that means, um, I believe that the Lord honors that. Uh, but don't become critical, you know. I mean, because, again, you know, I, I'm, my, I, my basic disposition is to, is to see the negative. But the Spirit's not that way. You know, God wants to open our eyes up to the beautiful, to the good. And there, in the body of Christ, is a beautiful and precious thing, and so that's what Paul prayed that the Ephesians would see, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. God, open my eyes to see that, and so that I not go to a church just trying to fix it. I think what you're describing is uh, instead of being confrontation, confrontational, to be one that comes alongside and and encourages yep. in what is true, and and, yep. and and you can be you know don't be don't be wishy-washy about it, but to, to encourage a person in what is true, you know, where, where can we, you know, where do we agree? Let's encourage each other and, and, and encourage each other to, to grow and to move toward what is truth and ask the Lord for the wisdom for that. You know, you know, like you're saying, find ways that, you know, that, that you can get involved. And I think that's interesting. You know, we've, we've said two things here that seem like it's contradicting, but it's, it really isn't. We've said, don't, just don't go looking to to serve, but but remember you're to be to to be, you're to receive. So look for that. But also we're we're saying, but don't go looking just to receive, but to give. There's a balance there. And again, you know, and and we don't want to get away from this. We all of this needs to be done prayerfully. Yep. It needs to be done by the Lord's wisdom, not ours. Trusting Him for it. But we need and we need to guard that we're not. You know, we're not having it that we don't have an agenda, either serving or being served, but but going into it sensitive to and ready to hear when the Lord speaks to respond to what He's showing us. Do you have any other questions? Uh, I have one more. So, when thinking about the church, uh, in the beginning, you were talking a lot about just the unity that the church enjoys in Christ, and um, and since the Reformation, we have countless denominations that you can't count how many there are. Uh, there's just so many. And sometimes that can be uh, overwhelming, especially I think of somebody who's looking for a church and they see all these different names of denominations. Well, and I guess my question is just how, how important in your mind is denominational consideration? Uh, is this a testimony of the disunity of the church or is it, yeah, the label is there, but really just go to the church and see what it's like. Yeah, uh, you know, if, if if God were to move us away from 
His Hill and Bernie Bible Church and drop us in a community we've never been in. I would, you know, I I would make um, some assumptions about different denominations just from my own experience and and knowledge of them. And I would would probably first look at Bible churches and evangelical free churches because they're the closest to Bible churches. I would then consider other denominations if I couldn't find one that if maybe one didn't exist in the in the community like that, I would consider a denomination, Presbyterian, Baptist, Methodist, you know, whatever. Um, but I would look at the centrality of Christ and His Word, and 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 I would I, I'd want to make sure that I don't go to a church that considers itself as having the, the that they contain the truth and no one else does. Um, that is not only unhealthy, it's cultic. And um, because nobody um, is the sole possessor of all the truth. We all have Jesus, um, but, you know, nobody needs, I've always appreciated this about torchbearers. You know, Major Thomas used to say, God doesn't need torchbearers. And torchbearers is not the sole embodiment or possessor of truth. And, and that was good. You know, he just kept that in front of us, that there are lots of people out there, Major said, who've never heard of torchbearers, but they know Jesus is their life. Mm. They don't know the vocabulary, but mm-hmm. they know Jesus is their life. And I, again, I believe that God has pastors like that in denominations all across the board, who their denomination may stink, but there are those pastors who are the exception yeah. in that denomination, and they know Jesus, and they have a very high view of Scripture, and, um, and they're godly men. Um, and so the denominational, you know, the denomination factors in a little bit for me, but I, not so much that I would never venture to go to a church that's outside of what I'm comfortable with or familiar with, because I know God has his people everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I, and that's what I want to find is just those, those, those godly pastors who know Jesus mm-hmm. and, and their heart is to, is to make Christ known in the ministries God's given them. And I know that those, those people are scattered. You know, having moved away uh, and, and having to look for a church, you know, it was interesting, after being here for 23 years and having students, you know, leave and, and, and have, you know, struggle with fitting back into church, you know, not all, but, but so many, and uh, like we had talked about earlier, and then experiencing it myself to leave, and then, okay, now it's, it's, it's our turn to find a church. Something that we have today that I, I think is an incredible gift, really, uh, that a lot of people are, you know, say it's no, it's not a gift. It's a horrible thing. But that would be the Internet. Yeah. And, you know, the churches, if they really uh, if they're really taking seriously the word of God and uh, they they'll have it well laid out on their websites, you know, what they believe to be true about God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, Scripture. And, and that was, that's a great first step to find out. And I I found too, on a couple of occasions, uh, we were gone last weekend and, uh, we were, uh, looking, you know, we, we had gone to to Colorado for the week and we were looking for a church for Sunday. did the same thing. We just went through and looked at some websites, found this one church. Well, what do they believe? And you go through and they, and, and they laid it out very clearly what they believe. We went there and were blessed. It was a, it was a wonderful time to, to, be with, to be with the believers there. Huh. And so I think that's a good first step. 
and then spend some time. You know, pastors usually have no problem sitting down and talking with you. Yeah, take them, I, take yeah, them to lunch. Exactly, yeah. Ask uh, them questions. I've had people do that many times. Yeah, and I, and I found the same thing when we had moved away. And we found, actually, we found a couple of churches that would you know, that we really feel like we could have, you know, come in line with, agreed with. And the pastors were more than willing to just sit down, talk with you, with no pressure at all. Mm. That's, that's a good question. Um, I've got one more. Uh, what about those who've been hurt by their, their church? And as a result, they, they stay away. What kind of encouragement and guidance would you want to give them? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question again. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's too broad. I and mean, we could spend hours just talking about that because um, there's various reasons why people, you know, things that contribute to hurt. Right. Sometimes people just have, they're too sensitive, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and the hurt itself, you know, is, is more because I'm making bigger out of this. You know, I'm reading more into it than what happened. That's right. life. We, right. we often do that with people. Because people are insensitive, and and people say things that they sh- shouldn't have said. It doesn't mean that that they that they don't like you or don't love you. It's just that happens. But you know, and if and if I want to insulate myself from that, then find a cave. You know, mm. because there's, I mean, even the guys, you know, checking me out at the grocery store can hurt my feelings. You know, mm. I mean, you, if you're just looking to get your feelings hurt, I mean, you're going to get your feelings hurt. And I remember a friend of mine, a Christian man, he's a lawyer. I'll never forget, I was in a meeting with him, and after the meeting was over, you know, I, I, I said, you know, this other party that was there said something that was offensive, and clearly you didn't take offense. And he said to me, he said, Charlie, taking offense is a choice. Wow. And I choose not to take offense. Wow. And that meant a lot to me, yeah. because I'm a person who's, who, who has taken offense frequently. Mm. And, I, and I realized he's right. You know, I need to own this and we're living in a world you know where everybody is offended you know and they're canceling you because they've taken offense and they're silencing you and all and nobody's taking ownership that you're choosing in some in many cases it's just your choice to take offense somebody speaks the truth the pastor speaks the truth and people take offense you know take offense with god you know if all he did was just read scripture take offense with god but that's your choice he that pastor did not offend you you chose to take offense because he simply stood on what the scripture said. And so I think there's that part of it is, you know, you need to think about what what has hurt you. And sometimes we have expectations for people that we've never even communicated. You know, that that pastor spend more time with me or whatever. You go, really? Well, how much time does you, is that pastor supposed to give you? And what does that look like? And, you know, and... You know, Paul said in Romans um, 12, he says, Oh, man, oh, no man anything except to love them. And, it, and that speaks to me and says that love is always going to be an unpaid debt. So if I'm going to take offense with people because they haven't loved me or they haven't loved me well enough, well, then again, line up, mm-hmm. you know, because there is nobody in my life that I have loved fully or loved perfectly or loved enough. I have failed everybody when it comes to that. Mm. And everyone has failed me when it comes to that. If I want to ma- if life is about being loved perfectly, then just go to Jesus and go back to your cave because nobody else is going to give you that perfect love. Mm. 
But that's not what life is about. You know, looking to get all my love needs met and taking offense and being hurt and wounded because I'm not being loved the way that I think I should be loved. Again, it's, it's not how God wants us to approach his people or life. Having said that, there are times when people have been truly sinned against yeah. in the church, that there have been crimes that have been committed in the church, mm-hmm. sexual abuse, all kinds of things. We understand that. And, and I, there are times, there are occasions when, when the person needs to leave because the situation is so abusive, um, they need to leave. And, and I get it. But we also need to recognize that just as in a marriage, the, that the reason many people divorce is because they've been hurt too many times and too greatly. And they just said, I'm done with getting hurt. And we're not talking about abuse, not talking about getting beat up. It's just the little wounds every day. And you get to a point where you just go, I've been wounded enough. Well, the thing about marriage is that there is no one who will ever wound you, has the potential to wound you more deeply and more frequently than your spouse. Because you're married. <laughs> you're, and, and so there's no one, that, and, and love is vulnerable. And I think about God. God gets wounded. God gets hurt. He speaks to this in Scripture. He says, you have, my, you have hurt me, that I am wounded. And, and so no one has been a, a, taken advantage of and hurt more than God has, but his love never fails. And I read 1 Corinthians 13, it's love endures all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. And, and, I, and, I, and again, if I'm not, not talking about you know, physical abuse, sexual abuse that, that has happened in the church, but just the hurt that can come from being in relationship with people. There is no place that will, where I will be outside of my marriage and Jesus, there is no group of people who will love me better than the church. But there is no group of people who can hurt me more significantly right. than the church. Right. They go together. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you expose yourself to great mm. potential for hurt mm. by being involved in a local church. But you expose yourself to great potential for being loved like you've never been loved before. Yeah. And so there's that risk. And that's just the nature of, of again, living in a, in a fallen world with sinners who have been saved by the grace of God, mm-hmm. is that we can be loved like we have never been loved before, but we can also be hurt like we've never been hurt before. So you, if to choose not to get hurt is to choose not to expose yourself to significant relationships, to not love. Yeah, I, I think if... if <laughs> Obviously, if anyone ever had a, a good reason to separate himself from any from from others because of being hurt, being done wrong, it would be Christ with regards to his yep. his disciples abandoning him. Yeah. But we find him after the resurrection telling them that I'll be with you always. Well, and and I was yes, and also Paul. Mm. I mean, Paul was maligned and slandered. Yeah. I mean, I mean, people lied about him. They accused him of things that he never did before. They said that he was there just to reap from people financially, to take advantage of people. And that's why, you know, I look at, at, at 2 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, 
open wide to us, O Corinthians. Our hearts are open wide to you. And I'm going, our mouth has spoken, he says this, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you're restrained by your own affections. And, you go, and I read that and I go, knowing, because he spends two letters, First and Second Corinthians, in part talking about how much abuse he's taken from these people. Mm. And he loves them. And mm. he says, my heart is not shut down towards you. Mm. That's a miracle. Mm. And, I, and see, and I go, so many people tell me, I've been wounded so many times by the church, I'm done with it. Mm-hmm. Paul goes, you've not been wounded like I've been wounded. Mm. I mean, find a church that hasn't wounded me, Paul could say. You know, I've laid my life out for these people, never taken a dime from these people, but they've accused me of everything they can think right. of. Mm. But my heart is open wide. Mm. Well, how does that happen? And he's and he says here in the previous verses, he says, in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, and that's where it starts. Mm. This I'm, I'm. It's not about the people. I am God's servant, and God, for whatever reasons, can allow both good and bad to come into my life. But if I commend myself to God as His servant, then I'm not going to just just run away every right. time I'm hurt. And that's the only thing that can keep me. Mm. I can't keep myself. I can't just forgive people in my own strength. I can't keep my heart from shutting down. The only thing that can keep my heart open is the supernatural work of God in response to me commending myself to God as his servant. Mm. And then he lists all these things in afflictions. And he says, in hardships and distresses and beatings and imprisonments and tumults and labors and sleeplessness and hunger. And then he lists a bunch of good things. But the whole point is, the reason my heart is still open is because in everything I've commended myself mm. to him. I agree. It is a miracle too, because it's, it's, it's not of Paul. It's not what he was doing. He says no. in, in Colossians in, at the end of chapter one and verse 29, he says, I labor, I strive according to his power, right. which mightily works within me. I mean, we have to be fixed on Christ. We have to be responding to what he's working in our heart, trusting him. Uh, it, because really, it's not, it's not within ourselves. It's not in our flesh to just forgive and move on. But, but we need to trust him. And like you said, there are things where, you know, this is legitimate, where, you know, they, you know, abuse or something like this within the church where there, there needs to be that separation. But not for the sake of just being by yourself again, but, but to find a body and, and get involved with that body. Well, is there anything else we want to talk about? Okay. I don't have anything. All right. Well, I want to thank both of you for doing this. I appreciate it. You're both really busy. John's got a lot of classes he's teaching this week, and uh, he's agreed to put some time aside to do this, and, and Charlie's always busy. He's uh, he's busy, like he's <laughs> said in this podcast, with Bernie Bible and here at His Hill and also being executive counsel at Torchbearers. So I, I appreciate whenever... You put some time aside as well. So thank you all. I appreciate it. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. And if anybody uh, wants to, you know, have any further um, questions with this, well, feel free to send an email to Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes, yes. Now you can you can send me uh, any any questions that you have, and we'll we'll be sure to 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 get back in touch with you. You can do that at Kelly K E L L Y at hishill.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the His Hill podcast today. We hope you enjoyed hearing from our director, Charlie McCall, along with our principal, John Forrest, and our host, Kelly Doherty. 
Be sure to give the His Hill podcast a follow on Instagram and Spotify to hear new episodes and quick reminders throughout the week. We are just about to reach the middle mark of our fall term here at Bible School. Please keep our current students in your prayers as the semester continues to unfold, that they would remain encouraged and eager to absorb the truths set before them each week in classes. It has been a lovely term so far, and we are really excited to see what the remainder of the autumn months will hold. Once again, you've been listening to the His Hill podcast featuring our host, Kelly Doherty, along with Charlie McCall and John Forrest. Thank you so much for tuning in with us today. Remember to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. We serve a beautiful God, and He is worthy of our trust. I'm Lizzie, and we'll see you next week.